0: If you've been listening to the show for a while, or if you listened to the introductory episode of the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast, you may remember that my sister was a huge fan of the notorious BIG, arguably one of the most significant hip-hop artists of all time. It wasn't unusual for Becky to bust out various lyrics to the popular song Juicy at any given moment. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine, Salt and Peppa, and Heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall, every Saturday, Rap Attack, Mr. Magic, Marley Mall, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, when I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this, 50 inch screen, money green leather sofa, got two rides, a limousine with a chauffeur, phone bill about two G's flat, no need to worry, my accountant handles that, and my whole crew is lounging, celebrating every day, no more in public housing. When Biggie was just 24 years old, he was shot to death as he was attempting to leave a party. The world would again have to mourn the loss of one of the most gifted rappers to ever hold a microphone, as just six months earlier, Tupac Shakur was also shot to death following a boxing match in Las Vegas. It's been almost 25 years since the passing of Biggie, and thankfully, his legacy and memory is carried on by those that loved him and knew him, but also by those who were and are inspired by his music. With that being said, on today's show, we will be taking a detailed look at the life and legacy of the one and only Notorious B.I.G., otherwise known as Biggie, Biggie Smalls, Christopher Wallace, etc. Do note that I will likely be referring to him by all of those names uh, interchangeably, but it's the same person. So, grab your tape player, your Kangol hat, and your charisma. Here we go. Hello, and thank you so very much for tuning into the Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast, a show inspired by, and in memory of, my big sister Rebecca, and her love for all things pop culture, especially the people, places, and things of the 1980s, 1990s, and early 2000s. My name is Amy Lewis, and I am your captain aboard this pop culture time machine. You are tuning into episode number 31, the Notorious B.I.G., one of the most well-known and successful hip-hop artists of all time. My sister was a huge fan of the Notorious B.I.G. well before he lost his life in a senseless act of violence and an artist that I, too, have been listening to for as long as I can remember. Although his life was cut incredibly and painfully short, his stamp on the world of hip-hop is something that won't soon be forgotten. Let's take a trip back to the early 1970s in New York, shall we? Christopher Wallace was born on May 21, 1972, in Brooklyn, New York, at St. Mary's Hospital. His parents were both from Jamaica. His mother's name was Valletta, and his father's name was Selwyn. His mother taught preschool, and his father worked as a welder and also in politics. Sadly, his father abandoned Wallace and his family when he was just two years old. Since Biggie's mother had to take care of her family on her own, and because she wanted to send her son to a good school, she ended up working two jobs just to make ends meet. Somehow, she was able to raise her son solo and also take him to Jamaica every summer to spend time with her side of the family. Wallace grew up in a tough part of Brooklyn, so she worked incredibly hard so that he could attend a good school, a a private school. This school, named Queen of All Saints, is where Wallace attended middle school. He excelled there, especially in English, and he was the recipient of many academic awards. His grades were consistently straight A's. By the time he was in middle school, Wallace was pretty well heavyset and was thus given the nickname Big. Despite his mother's sincere attempts to better the life of her son, by the time Wallace was about 12 years old, he started selling drugs and would soon have a pattern of police run-ins and arrests. Also, by the time he was 13 years old, he was already six feet tall. One year for Christmas, Wallace was given a boombox and a few cassette tapes, including those by the Fat Boys who I also listened to growing up. They sampled the Beach Boys' classic song Wipeout, which was pretty genius. And he also got a Run-DMC tape. Wallace apparently really admired Run-DMC. This began a lifelong passion for him with hip-hop music. One year, Wallace and his friends saved up their money so that they could record hip-hop music together. Eventually, Wallace transferred to George Westinghouse High School, per his request. This school actually has a pretty impressive list of alumni and future stars, including Jay-Z, Busta Rhymes, and DMX, DMX who, sadly, uh, recently passed away. That's a pretty incredible list of alumni. Oftentimes, when school got out, Wallace would spend time with Donald Harrison Jr., who played the saxophone and lived nearby. I was not familiar with Donald Harrison Jr., as I've never been too much into jazz music, My parents certainly were. But anyways, Harrison is originally from New Orleans. He was born there on June 23rd, 1960. His family history is deeply rooted in music. In fact, his dad was a Mardi Gras Indian big chief. He attended the Berkeley College of Music. Eventually, he moved to New York. And like I said, he ended up living on the same block as Wallace and sort of served as a mentor for him. He'd take him to see a movie or maybe to go look at art. He was actually hoping to get Wallace to pursue music in some fashion as he was naturally gifted with music and rhythm, especially with drums. He's released dozens of albums and has played on many other musicians' records as well. But let's get back to Christopher Wallace, a.k.a. Biggie. Following frequent absences, Wallace dropped out of high school when he was 17 years old. Although he didn't necessarily think he could make a living creating hip-hop music, he wanted to continue to hone his craft. He initially thought the only way he was going to be able to make a living was to sell drugs, unfortunately. The appeal of drug dealing was hard to escape from. Wallace and a friend of his were able to earn thousands of dollars per week selling drugs, certainly more than any other opportunity at that time. Despite a troubled adolescence, he loved music and performing music. He would often perform in the streets of his neighborhood with local groups like the Techniques and the Old Gold Brothers. Wallace really enjoyed entertaining the people of his community. Taking inspiration from a movie called Let's Do It Again, Wallace created his first stage name, Biggie Smalls. Due to some legality issues with the name Biggie Smalls, Wallace had to change his stage name, and thus, the Notorious B.I.G. was born. In 1989, Biggie was arrested for weapons charges, which led to him being on probation for about five years. Just a year later, 1990, Biggie was again arrested in North Carolina for drug dealing. He went to jail for nine months and eventually got bail. When he was eventually released, Biggie borrowed a four-track tape recorder and recorded some tracks in somebody's basement. The tapes then made their way around and got some radio airplay on New York radio stations. Source Magazine which is a major uh, hip-hop magazine, somehow got a hold of his demo tape as well and featured him in their magazine in 1992. In the early 1990s, Sean Puff Daddy Combs, now P. Diddy, heard Biggie's music and signed him to Uptown Records. His debut came on a Mary J. Blige song called Who's the Man? In 1993, Combs was fired from Uptown Records and he formed his own label named Bad Boy, which Biggie followed him to. Also in 1993, on August 8th to be exact, Biggie became a father for the first time to a daughter named Tiana. He eventually broke up with his girlfriend, Tiana's mother. Concerned about his daughter being able to afford getting an education, Biggie continued to sell drugs. Once Puff Daddy heard about this, though, he allegedly made Biggie stop selling drugs immediately. The Notorious B.I.G. was also responsible for the creation of the hip-hop group Junior Mafia, which included many of his friends and fellow rappers from Brooklyn. The group also included Lil' Kim. Biggie discovered Lil' Kim during a rap battle on the streets of Brooklyn. Biggie would go on to date Lil' Kim. He started seeing her while still with Tiana's mother. Lil' Kim reported that their relationship was incredibly tumultuous and very violent. She has expressed that there was essentially a double standard in the industry— Men could do whatever they want, like have multiple lovers, have an aggressive side, etc. And yet women couldn't do anything like that without facing some serious consequences. That aside, though, if you are a fan of hip-hop music in the 1990s, you likely know who Lil' Kim is. She was certainly a force to be reckoned with back then, and really pushed the boundaries when it came to being a female rapper. One of her most notable songs that I remember is called How Many Licks?, which um, you can interpret that however you would like. Uh, Let's just say it's not about a Tootsie Pop, if you will. And I remember when I was a senior in high school, they did a lock-in at my high school for the seniors right after we graduated, where they had activities going all hours of the night. And there's also an opportunity to film a music video so you could pick out a song and so you could dance and lip-sync to you know, popular songs at the time. And so I, of course, jumped right on board with that and did a dance to syncs Bye Bye Bye, which was a lot of fun and is on a VHS tape in a landfill somewhere. And um, also, one of my other fellow classmates that I graduated with also did a dance to How Many Licks, which um I'm surprised they let her do that, given the nature of the song. I won't get into any details, but uh, let's just say it's not appropriate. Okay. There you go. little tidbit about Lil' Kim for you. But I do like Lil' Kim and I actually own one of her albums. Anyways, in 1994, Biggie first met fellow hip-hop artist Faith Evans as they were both signed to Bad Boy Records. They only knew each other for about eight days before tying the knot. Evans said that she was attracted to Biggie's confidence. Biggie said he fell for Evans right away, but unfortunately he did not remain faithful. He continued seeing Lil' Kim when he was married to Evans, as well as other women. Thankfully, Biggie's first album release was incredibly successful, so selling drugs was certainly something he didn't need to keep doing. Ready to Die was released on September 13, 1994, and eventually went platinum, selling over one million copies. Apparently, Biggie worked hard to market his album. He invited people to his home in Brooklyn and would give them a copy of the album. He faced some legal challenges due to him using sampling on this album, so those tracks didn't make it to the final cut. The album featured classic songs like Juicy, Big Papa, and One More Chance. Biggie's lyrical ability was praised by critics and fans alike. One critic said, quote, His lyrics are firmly rooted in reality, but play like a scene from a movie. End quote. Rolling Stone said, quote, Ready to Die is the strongest solo rap debut since Ice Cube's America's Most Wanted. From the breathtakingly usual moments of his birth to his Cobain-esque end in suicidal thoughts, Big proves a captivating listen. It's difficult to get him out of your head once you sample what he has to offer. End quote. Source Magazine has included Ready to Die as one of their 100 best rap albums of all time list. Rolling Stone named it as the number 22 album on the 500 greatest albums of all time, and Time Magazine included it on its list of all time 100 albums. And while we're on the topic of the fall of 1994, let us review some other popular music at the time, which really reads like a who's who of music that both me, my sister, and I'm sure fans of the show remember fondly. So some of those songs include I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men, I Swear by well, All for One, Here Comes the Hot Steppa, Ini Kamos, Back and Forth by Aaliyah, Fantastic Voyage by Coolio, I'll Remember by Madonna, and Prayer for the Dying by Seal. I was obsessed with the song Prayer for the Dying for whatever reason, so much so that I had it on a casingle. Yeah, a single. which if you don't know what that is, it's a cassette tape that has one song on it. Yeah, I bought it at Coconuts because I was Coconuts for Seal. (laughs) Uh, It's actually a a really beautiful song, but why I was so touched by a song that allegedly was about Seal's brushes with death and possibly intravenous drug use, uh, I'm not really sure. But, you know, nothing like being young and oblivious. But seriously, I do secretly, or not so secretly, love Seal and that song. Here are a few of the lyrics from Prayer for the Dying. Crossing that bridge with lessons I've learned, playing with fire and not getting burned. I may not know what you're going through, but time is a space between me and you. Life carries on. Now, I couldn't relate to that as an awkward middle school student, and I really mean awkward. My just, yeah, it was bad, but I certainly can now. On November 30th, 1994, Tupac Shakur was shot five times at a recording studio in Manhattan. Coincidentally, Biggie was also there recording in another studio. Tens of thousands of dollars worth of jewelry was also stolen from Tupac at that time. Tupac claimed that Biggie knew the shooting was going to happen and didn't warn him. The East Coast-slash-West Coast rivalry began during this time, which was essentially Death Row Records versus Bad Boy Records. Following his recovery, Tupac started to really go after Biggie, at least verbally. Apparently, though, Biggie never really reciprocated to return the threats. He was apparently scared for his life. He was afraid to say or do the wrong thing, so he did not engage with Tupac's disses and threats. Tupac would later admit that part of his motivation for essentially being so verbally disrespectful to Biggie was simply an attempt to sell more records. At one time, Biggie was quoted as saying, Please, all you MCs out there, all you fans out there, Don't think Big going to make a recording dissing Tupac or the West Coast because it's not going down like that. I can't even see me wasting my time or talent dissing another black man. What I learned during my research is that Tupac and Biggie were apparently relatively close friends prior to the whole East Coast-West Coast feud. They first met each other in L.A. at a party hosted by a drug dealer. Biggie actually opened a few times for Tupac during some early performances. Tupac was incredibly impressed by Biggie's talent. Biggie would soon look to him for mentorship and one time even asked him to become his manager. Tupac, however, encouraged him to stay on with Puff Daddy as he knew he'd become a star with Puffy's support. In 1995, Biggie was awarded Hip-Hop Artist of the Year by Billboard, and by the end of that year, Biggie was the highest-selling male solo hip-hop artist. On September 7, 1996, following his departure from a Mike Tyson fight in Las Vegas, Tupac Shakur was shot by an unknown person and died a few days later. The murder has never been solved, and his unfortunate passing just added to the already deep divide between the West Coast and and East Coast rap communities. And if you are interested in learning more about Tupac Shakur, you can go back to episode number two of the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast. It is one of the first shows that I did. And I don't think I've listened to that recently because my first couple of shows are uh, just a little bit uh, of a challenge to listen to. I was new. I was new. I was figuring it out. But I think that the content of that show is definitely very strong. So feel free to check that out for more information about Tupac's incredible life. In October of 1996, Biggie and his wife, Faith Evans, welcomed their second child together, a boy named Christopher Wallace Jr. They were able to briefly reconcile for the birth of their son, but unfortunately, their reunion didn't last forever. Just before the unfortunate ending of Biggie's life, he had gone to California in part to try and end the East Coast-West Coast rivalry. Later, on March 8th, 1997, Biggie attended the Soul Train Awards. He was sadly booed by the attendees who represented the West Coast. He was so embarrassed that he walked off the stage and eventually went to an after-party that was hosted by Quest Records and Vibe magazine. It was hosted at Peterson's Automotive Museum in L.A. In the early hours of March 9th, Biggie was shot while sitting in an SUV at a stoplight by an unidentified individual who was driving a Chevy Impala. He was killed almost immediately. When he died, he left behind not just his estranged wife, but two children, an already impressive music career, and also a screenplay that he was apparently working on. He also allegedly had plans to open a restaurant called Big Papa's after one of his hit songs, which would be located in his old Brooklyn neighborhood and would serve the residents there 24 hours a day. A memorial was held for Biggie on March 18th, 1997 in New York, in Manhattan. Thousands upon thousands of fans lined the streets in Brooklyn to watch the processional pass by. It went through his old neighborhood. The highest concentration of people were standing near his former home. Biggie's Life After Death album was released on March 25th, 1997, just mere weeks after his passing. It has sold approximately 10 million copies. This album was also incredibly well-received. In fact, many songs were nominated for Grammys, such as Hypnotize. Here are some of the lyrics from that song, which every time I quote rap music, I just feel like I'm doing it such a disservice with my Horrible ability to rap, but, you know, here we go. Papa been smooth since days of underoos, never lose, never choose to, bruise crews who do something to us, talk go through us. He was hoping to extend his reach with audiences with this album, so he collaborated with artists like Lil' Kim, Jay-Z, and Bone Thungs in Harmony. Mo' Money Mo' Problems was also a huge hit, and part of its appeal was because it mixed darker lyrics with more upbeat music in this case sampling Diana Ross's classic song, Coming Out. Tunes such as these were played more frequently on the radio and appealed to a wider audience. Biggie was featured and referenced on several songs on Puff Daddy's 1997 release, No Way Out, including the classic song, I'll Be Missing You, which samples the timeless song by The Police, Every Breath You Take. I'll Be Missing You won a Grammy for Best Rap Performance. Coincidentally, Mo' Money, Mo' Problems, a song by Biggie, which we just talked about, was also nominated in this category. My sister and I both graduated from a pretty big high school outside of Chicago, and we were required to have P.E. all four years of high school. I was more than okay with this. I freaking loved P.E. And my sister was pissed. Anywho, one semester I got to take dance, and we had to do a dance routine to a music song of our choice. One of my classmates used the song Mo' Money, Mo' Problems to dance to, and man, that was an awesome song, and it still is. Anyways, the Notorious B.I.G. was truly larger than life, and not just because he was over six feet tall and weighed, by some reports, around 300 pounds, some said 400 pounds. He was definitely a, a big person. He just had such a strong presence, and had such unique and inspiring lyrics to his music. I am not even remotely an expert on hip-hop or rap music, but as a pretty avid listener of this genre of music for the past 25 years or so, I think it's hard to argue that Biggie's lyrics were something that we had never heard before, and will likely never hear again. No one could write and perform quite like Biggie. hope you've enjoyed this look back on the life, career, and unfortunate passing of Christopher Wallace, a.k.a. Biggie Smalls, a.k.a. The Notorious B.I.G., one of the most admired and gifted rappers to ever create music. In January of 2020, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and more recently, a documentary was released about his life on Netflix. His gifts to the music world are thankfully still being celebrated. There's also an organization called the Christopher Wallace Memorial Foundation. Its focus is primarily on fundraising to help kids by acquiring educational materials like books and other learning equipment. The organization has been working to rename a street in Brooklyn after Biggie. I think it's going to be called Christopher Wallace Way. Also, Biggie's son Christopher Jr. is also a rapper, like father, like son. After the release of his two studio albums, Biggie has been featured on several compilation albums, a soundtrack, and three posthumous albums. For the past several years, May 21st has been dubbed Big Day in Brooklyn, with fans coming out to celebrate the life and music of the Notorious B.I.G. There's even a huge mural of him, I believe it's about three stories high, located in Brooklyn on the corner of Bedford and Quincy Streets. It features Biggie with a serious look on his face. He is wearing a long gold chain and has a gold crown atop his head. And I think there was some discussion about that possibly coming down because some windows needed to be installed. But as far as I can tell, I think it's still there. And if I ever make it out to Brooklyn again at some point, I will definitely be checking that out and taking a photo. If you are enjoying the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast, please rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Please tell your family and friends about the show. You can find me on Instagram. I'm at Pop Culture Retrospective. And on Twitter, I am at Pop Culture Retro. I hope you'll join me for my next show where we will be discussing the classic young adult chapter books that are the Babysitters Club series, some of my sister's very favorite books in middle school. Until then, be kind, be safe, and hold on to your memories. And I will leave you with a few more. Inspiring lyrics from the song, Juicy. You know very well who you are. Don't let them hold you down. Reach for the stars. You had a goal, but not that many. Because you're the only one. I'll give you good and plenty. And my next show will be coming out most likely um, later in May, as I have kind of a busy schedule coming up. So there'll be a few weeks break between the next show, but I hope you'll join me for my next episode. Thanks for listening.